You're listening to Let's Talk Creation with Todd Wood and Paul Garner, the creation show where we learn, grow, and worship. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Let's Talk Creation with Paul Garner and Todd Wood. I'm Paul Garner. And I'm Todd Wood. And uh, it's great to have everybody here again. Uh, do remember to click that subscribe button and uh, like and share our episodes. Uh, tell your friends about us. Uh, we we'd really do appreciate all of that. Now, uh, Todd, um, we are recording uh, uh, some kind of regular episodes right. while we are working on editing the live episodes that we did yeah. while I was over in uh, the United States yeah. uh, in the summer. and. So I thought in this episode, it would be a good idea to tackle a question that comes up a lot. This is a really common question. Uh, I'm sure you get asked it all the time, as do I. Uh, how on earth did Noah fit all of those animals on the ark? And how did Noah and his family care for them all during the voyage? Um, and, and so forth. All of those kinds of questions about uh, the reality of Noah's Ark. And I, I think lots of people, you know, when they begin to think about those questions, they just kind of end up scratching their head and saying, it just sounds impossible. How on earth could all of those millions of species, you know, fit on the Ark? And how could eight people look after them all? And all of those kinds of questions. And this is not a new question. This is a question that's been around for a very, very long time. A people have been asking time. these sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. So, Todd, when um, when you get asked that question, kind of what are your first impressions? What are your first reactions? You know, I I, I grew up in um, the countryside. Uh, came from a family of farmers, um, and my grandfather raised pigs. And let me tell you, there's, I just think there's no manure worse than pig manure as far as smell goes. Okay. So, so when people say, oh yeah, I can't imagine how that goes, you know, how could you build an ark and care for animals? And I just keep thinking, man, what would it smell like to be cooped up in that, in that ark with the stench of all these animals defecating everywhere, um, for a year. Right, so you you add yeah. up the the numbers in the in the text there in Genesis um, six through nine, and you'll come up with you know Noah was on that Noah was on the ark for at least a year. So, so there's part of me that's very sympathetic to it, right? And and I think, oh, <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> I I yeah. totally get you, and um, it does sound pretty awful if you don't think about it too hard. You don't really think that it's a big deal. If you're thinking in terms of, you know, like children's books and the and the little cartoon Noah and his ark and the little giraffes are sticking out, their heads are sticking out of the window and that sort of thing. That seems all very benign and, and nice. Uh, yeah. But you give it a little more thought and you realize, gross. <laughs> how, do you, how, yeah. do you, how do you do that um, for yeah. a year? So. Yeah, sure. So as, as you begin to think about it, you know, you've, yeah, you, all these questions start to occur to you, and you think, okay, how how exactly did that work? How does this work? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of... I can understand that a lot of people who've given this story any thought, you know, have... They have this tendency to be a bit sceptical about it. So, 
how far back does this kind of skepticism go? You know, how, how long have people been asking these kinds of questions about the Noah's Ark story, Todd? You know, I've, I've done a lot of reading on this subject and a lot of sort of research trying to track down early ideas about the Ark and the, the history of interpreting the Ark uh, account is really quite a fascinating one. It takes a lot of weird detours. But one of the earliest references that I can come up with to a critic of the uh, the Ark story is a guy named Apelles, and he lived in the second century, so maybe uh, maybe two hundred years after Jesus, not not very much longer. Um, he was a disciple of a guy named Marcion. Now, Marcion, Aha, I've heard of him. You've heard of Marcion, yeah. okay. <laughs> Yeah, okay. maybe some of our audience members don't know him, but he's he's rather famous as an early kind of a heretic. Um, he's kind of a Gnostic kind of a guy. He thinks that the the Old Testament God and the New Testament God are not the same God. He thinks that the creation uh, was not a was not a good thing, in a sense. Um, he. And he's well known. If you if you ever start researching, how did we come up with our Bibles? You will come up with Marcion's Canon, which is where I first ran across him. Marcion rejected the Old Testament completely. He decided that the Old Testament was not the Hebrew Bible was not um, inspired, and that only certain books of the New Testament. I think he had like thirteen uh, books of the New Testament are acceptable as scripture. Um. So Apelles is one of his disciples, and Apelles wrote this long, um, apparently this this criticism of the Old Testament and how absurd it was and how it couldn't possibly be true. And one of the things that he raises is the Ark. It's just silly. The Ark is silly. You couldn't even put two elephants on the Ark at all. Uh, it's just, and so you can see from that that it's clearly not a story that's intended to be historical or taken seriously. Uh, so that was, that was Apelles' idea. We know about Apelles, and this is often the case with early heretics of, of Christianity. We know them mostly because of the, the sort of mainstream Christian, the, the church fathers who would criticize them in their works. So a lot of these early heretics' works, original works, don't actually survive to the present. What we have are criticisms from accepted church fathers. Apelles and his and his claim about about the ark shows up in in a in the homilies on Genesis written by a guy named Origen, which is another name that's probably familiar to yeah. some of you. Uh, Origen lived in Alexandria, Apelles lived in Alexandria, so they were probably, you know, you know, competitors right there in the same in the same town, opponents right in the same town, and um, Origen is pretty well known for his allegorical approach to scripture. He was he was he had a really low uh, trigger point at deciding when something ought to be allegorical and when it should not be taken literally. So he's <clears throat> he's known for not taking the days of creation as actual days of creation. He sees that as an allegory. So it's really interesting that in this case, he's 
he basically says Apelli is a heretic and uh, Moses would have known how to build the ark, uh, Moses being the one who's describing this. He would have understood and he would not have recorded this if it was stupid, as stupid as Apelli's thinks. And so, uh, yeah, so Origen comes down on the side of, no, the ark story is legit. It could have held all the animals. Pelles is wrong, uh, which I find just really fascinating because Origen was so quick to allegorize. He, he could have just said, yeah, you're right. This, this story is an allegory and whatever, but he doesn't. He comes out and says, nah, it's legit, and Apelles is a heretic. <laughs> mm. Yeah, they, there's nothing new under the sun, right? So, you know, the, these kinds of skeptical criticisms of the art re- really go back a very long way. Now, you know, as you said um, earlier, you've done a lot of reading about the history of the way people have thought about Noah's Ark. Um, what else sticks out to you from that sort of early period of history in how people are defending the Ark account? Is there anything? Yes. You, you mentioned it takes all these weird detours. Absolutely. Tell us about some of that. Let me tell you the weirdest detour of all, right? So in Genesis, let's see here, Genesis 6, verse 16, God is telling uh, Noah how to build the ark. He's describing his instructions. And he says, make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. Now, a bunch of early commentators took this to mean that the top of the ark was to be one square cubit. And so they understood the ark to be a pyramid. Mm. Which is a really odd shape. I mean, you know, you grew up, you grew up after the Enlightenment. I grew up after the Enlightenment. We all have those oblong barge-shaped arcs, right? That's what we think of when we think of Noah's Ark. If we're not thinking of the cute little wooden ship from the cartoons. Um, So the idea that people once once upon a time took very seriously this notion of a pyramidal arc is, yeah, it's really odd. And I remember reading it for the first time and thinking, that is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Who would ever think that a boat would be shaped (laughs) like a pyramid? Um, And you get into the Middle Ages. You can find depictions. You can find depictions, can't Correct. you? I mean, I've I've seen these. You know, you can look at uh, artwork from that period. Yeah, there's a, and there it is. There's there's this really weird sort of pyramid shaped art. Yeah, there's a very famous early, um, uh, illuminated manuscript of uh, Genesis called uh, the Vienna Genesis, um, mm. that depicts the Ark as a pyramid. Um, maybe we'll dig up a picture of that and include it here in the video. I'll make a note of that. And I, well, I just said it, so I guess I already just made a note of it. Huh? <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so it took it, it was in the Middle Ages then, a, a guy named Hugh of St. Victor uh, wrote uh, a treatise arguing that that's, well, in one of his treatises, he wrote that is not, that's not likely. You, a pyramid-shaped arc would probably sink. You need a, a hull, a ship's hull, to push the water away to make something actually float. And I think that's also interesting because Hugh of St. Victor is pretty well known for his elaborate allegorizing of the flood story. So he's got a pretty Mm. imaginative, um, non-literal reading of the flood story. But when it comes to how to build the ark, he comes down on, no, 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 no. It's it's basically a rectangular box. Now, Hugh of St. Victor is probably a name some of you might know because he had, uh, he's known for his elaborate 
um, allegory about the flood. He was one. He was another one of these guys who who would read uh, the scripture in very allegorical ways, and so he has this elaborate allegory of Noah's Ark. But when it came to the actual building of the ark and whether it was you know seaworthy or whether it was real, he came down pretty much on the idea that no, this was legit and it worked. And he argued for kind of a kind of a rectangular, oblong, rectangular kind of arc uh, that would be the sort of arc that we would think of today. Mm. Yeah. And I've seen um, Hugh of St. Victor. He, he used to travel around and give lectures about the arc, about the allegorical interpretation of the arc. And he That's had this right. enormous illustration yes. that he used to take around with him. Right. Um, you know, this is obviously pre-PowerPoint days. So right. he had his own sort of illustration that he took yeah. around. So he had, um, yeah, yeah, he did. He had this giant, yeah. oh, and it was big. It was evidently very large uh, yeah. that he would haul around yeah. with him so that he could, he could put it up and, and, and explain to people all the deep spiritual meaning of the Ark and, what, and, and the construction of the Ark and so forth. Yeah. 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 Really interesting. So let, let's just think about how the Bible describes the ark. And it uses um, a particular Hebrew term. I don't know how to pronounce this, Todd, this Hebrew term that's used for the ark. It's also used for the basket that Moses is placed in. Yes. Uh, you know, when, when he's kind of floated down the river or whatever, you yes. know, and, and, and he's in the bulrushes. And it's the same Hebrew word, I think. Right. Um, do, do you know, can you remember what that Hebrew word is? Uh <laughs> Excuse me, Hebrew experts, but I think it's Tabar. I, I think that's Tabar. how it's pronounced. Okay, Ta- Tabar. Tabar. Okay, Tabar. Okay, yeah, you'll have to, yeah, Hebrew yeah. scholars, you'll have to forgive us yeah, if we forgive us if, that, we, but- if we butchered that, but there it is. <laughs> but, and you're right, it is. <laughs> it's, might- it's an unusual word, right? It's only used in those two circumstances. Yeah. There's, there's a bunch of strange words yeah. that are used, rarely gopher wood, for example. That's yeah. just That's just a transliteration of the hebrew word gopher <laughs> yeah and we 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 don't know what we that don't know means, what that really. is yeah no. we don't we don't know whether that's a type of wood or whether it's a type of treatment that was right. applied to the mm. word or we, we don't really know we don't really know so this this word uh, that is translated ark um it literally i understand means like box and yeah that's sort of how we that's how we sort of visualize the the ark. We think of the ark as this sort of boxy, rectangular shaped yeah. sort of object. Yeah. And I, I I guess that kind of makes sense. You know, it sort of works as a as as a boat. It it floats. It's not like the pyramid shaped ark. Um, <laughs> right. Which you know, I just I can't imagine how that would be stable in the water. Um, and also, the pyramid-shaped arc would only give you, I mean, if you remember your mathematical formula for working out the volume of a pyramid. That was a long um, time ago. It, it's going to give you, <laughs> it, it's going to give you a third of the volume of, of a rectangular arc. So, right. um, so a rectangular arc kind of makes sense. It maximizes the, uh, the, the, the volume, you know, for the dimensions that are given. Um, and I guess we could, you know, we could we could get into all kinds of discussions here about exactly how the ark was constructed and you know what kind of wood it was made from and yeah, yeah, whether yeah. Noah had help to build the ark. You know, there are all these kinds of all these kinds of questions, but maybe we'll come back to those, you know, at some later point. I, I think, you know, here we want to stick mostly on the capacity of the ark. Yeah. And whether you know, whether we could fit all of those animals on the ark. 
Because we could go down five million different rabbit trails talking about, you know, we, where do we you could. get the timber? Uh, how do you treat the timber? It yep. takes them 100 years, right? So that's in the text. Yeah. 100 years from the time yep. God told them to build the ark until the time God shut the door and put them inside. Yeah. So there's just, there's, yeah. it's one of these, I, I, I feel like we're, we're hitting on another intermittent series of episodes here. We've got too many of those. Going okay. On. <laughs> yeah. We've, <laughs> we've set lots of those hairs running. Haven't yeah. We? And um, yeah, there's, this might be another one. This yeah. might be another one. So how big, um, how big are we talking this arc? You have a, you have a yeah. sense so, of that? Sure. So uh, Genesis chapter six and verse 15 gives us the dimensions of the ark when god tells noah to construct the ark he gives him he gives him the dimensions and uh, it's 300 cubits long 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high mm. and of course that um immediately begs a question um what is a cubit what? uh yes. we know it's an we know it's an ancient sort of unit of measurement mm-hmm. um but what is it um and I think, you know, when, when you read the commentators uh, and those who know about ancient history, they will tell you that the cubit was basically the length from your elbow to the tip of your fingers. Yeah, maybe that way so people can see. So this is about one cubit. Okay. Okay. Uh, and is my, my Todd, cubit, you, I suspect. You measured your cubit, I think. I did I? Yeah, I did. It's about 17 and <laughs> 17 and a half inches. Yeah. As I, yeah, that's in their notes. Here. Yeah. yeah. It's about 17 and 17 yeah. three quarter, 17 and a half, something like that. Uh, so it's about a foot and a yeah. half. Yeah. yeah. So that makes the arc what? Yeah. You know, by my cubit, uh, I guess it makes the arc 450 by 45 by 75. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Yes. So if you, if you have a, a kind of 18 inch um, cubit, foot and a half, then that's how big the arc comes out. But there is a bit of a complication in that we know that in the ancient world there were different types of cubits. Uh, there were short cubits and long cubits and royal cubits and cubits that were used for construction and you know so there was there was some variation and they kind of vary between they vary between about seventeen and a half inches up to about twenty and a half inches some something like that so and in fact. Um, I visited the uh, Ark Encounter in Kentucky, okay. uh, which I know many of our listeners will know about. And when I was at the Ark Encounter, you can buy your own construction cubit. <laughs> uh, that's the box it came in. That's brilliant. And uh, this, is, this is the construction the cubit. cubit that huh? I bought at the Ark. So okay. now, this cubit is actually a bit longer. Uh, than the 18-inch cubit. This is the Hebrew long cubit, which is about 20.4 inches. And I think the reason that they chose to use this one for the Ark Encounter is because this cubit was used in um, many ancient construction projects, including, I think, Solomon's construction of the temple. And so they chose to use the long sort of Hebrew cubit. And that means that the Ark in Kentucky is a bit bigger than we just said. So it's, it's 510 feet long. Um, it's 85 feet wide and 51 feet tall. So, so slightly bigger than the okay. arc that we just mentioned. Sure. Yeah. So you get, you get different, you know, estimates of this kind of thing, but um, it was big. 
it was very big. And if you if you go to the Ark Encounter um, and you look at this, you know, huge construction, you really do get this sense of scale. Uh, you know, really how bi- how big this thing was. Yeah. Um, I, it, I, it's enormous. Yeah, I used to I used to work in a building uh, on the campus of Bryan College, the the Mercer Administration Building on the campus of Bryan. Um, was built to the dimensions of Noah's Ark. So it is yeah, a four, right. 450 by 75 by 45. I worked yeah. on one end, and the mail room was on the opposite end, and there was a long, straight hallway between us. And it was my exercise for the day <laughs> to get up and walk <laughs> all the way down in the mail room and all the way back again. You know, it was obviously not my all yeah. my exercise for the day but it was a thing that you could do and uh and it yeah it was it was a long yeah. you you had to really commit to get it going all the way down to get your mail that, that that day but it was very large yeah and and i i i remember taking out um a youth group from our church out to a big um open field where i had them kind of pace out the ark and sort of you know stand at the corners you know to sort of show how big this thing was right and it really brought home to these youngsters you know how big how big the art was so yeah. that that's an interesting thing to do with your youth group is take them out yeah. and have them have them stake have out them the size of the out, art yeah. yeah it certainly um it certainly makes you you know realize it, it gives you that sort of reality when you're sort of standing in the full scale either the full-scale arc in Kentucky or some other way of staking out how big it is. It gives you the sense of, 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 of giganticness. It really makes the, the little toy Noah's Ark, the precious moments right. of Noah's Ark, or whatever, it makes it seem uh, just pathetic, right? It, it looks like a, yeah. a, a, a wash tub or, a, or a, a dustbin compared to the size of what the yeah. bible actually says yeah and so it kind of puts in context doesn't it apelli's um <laughs> quibbles about you know how many elephants yeah. you can f- yeah. fit on the ark you know but yeah but i don't think we need to worry about fitting some elephants on no the ark. you could fit you could fit <laughs> i looked up for this just just so i would know i i i looked up the world's largest dinosaur and according to the uh, world-renowned authorities that came up as the first result on my Google search, whatever they were, uh, it is Argentinosaurus, um, which is okay. a sauropod dinosaur. Let me look at my notes again here. Um, that guy is, uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, about 100 feet long and a shoulder height of about 24 feet. Um, and that's big, but, but think about this again, Yeah, hundred feet long, 24 feet at the shoulder for a full grown Argentinosaurus. The arc is 450 feet long and it is 45 feet tall. So you could fit multiple Argentinosauruses in the arc if you wanted to. You don't have to, right? You could take, you could take juveniles. That's the other trick. You don't have to take <laughs> the, the grownups. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So the, this whole idea of you can't fit anything in the ark. The ark is ridiculously too small. You you realize when you start, you know, just doing some simple mathematics. Well, the ark is really really large. It might not <laughs> it is, be. It is, yeah. 
it might not be as big enough to hold millions of species, but it's not, it's not what Apelles thought, right? It could hold many right. elephants. It could probably hold a whole herd of elephants if you crammed them in there. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that kind of question about, you know, how do you fit the large animals, is, 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 it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a red herring, really. Uh, it's a bit of a distraction. Yeah, I think so. Um, but people have kind of made calculations about the size of the ark and how many animals can fit on board the ark and that kind of thing. Yeah. And that, that is also something that goes back a long way. That is not something that modern creationists alone have done. And I know that you were, um, you actually were involved in translating one of these early works. I have a copy of it here. Ah, there it is. Um, it is uh, Buteo's The Shape and Capacity of Noah's Ark. I guess that's how you pronounce his Johannes, surname. Johannes Buteo, yep. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and this was really interesting. This was published, I believe, in 1559. Yes. And uh, it's, it's a little sort of pamphlet um, that he published. Uh, it's, not, it's not a long work. Yeah, so, um, yeah, you're right. The, the pamphlet's pretty short. I was involved mostly in uh, recruiting and commissioning people to do the translation. I could not read the Latin to save my life. Um, but I really wanted to know uh, what, his, what his take on the Ark was going to be. So he's got, he's got several pages on the, on the, you know, the construction of the Ark, materials used, uh, the shape of the ark. He's got a long discussion about what the ark was shaped like. Uh, so he's got the pyramid shape. He's got other weird prism shapes that he, that he talks about. Um, and then he gets into the capacity. And, and as you say, the, the question of large animals is, I, yeah, I agree with you. It's, it is kind of a distraction because the reality is you can always take the little ones, right? You don't have to take the full-grown adults. You could take little ones. And so that changes the, changes the size of things rather dramatically. And there really isn't anything. The largest dinosaur that we know of could fit multiple examples of the Ark. So it all becomes sort of a, a silly thing about, could you fit this or that at the Ark? Yes. The answer is yes. You could fit them in the Ark. The question is, can you fit all of the animals in the Ark, right? you know, take two of every kind. And so Buteo is relying, he's going to list out what he thinks are the animals that go on the ark. And he's relying on uh, a guy named Pliny the Elder. Now, Pliny was a Roman author from the first century who wrote uh, a book called Natural History. And he, um, let's say, not entirely reliable. <laughs> So I was, again, preparing for this episode, looking through that booklet, realizing, oh, good, Buteo has unicorns and Pegasus, winged horses, uh, <laughs> right. on, on the Ark. So thanks, Pliny the Elder. Um, yeah, so he's got a lot of strange animals, but eventually he basically uh, comes down to, yeah, there's, there's no problem with fitting all the animals on the Ark, but he's only got a couple of hundred animals going on the ark. He does have 3,000 sheep that he takes on the ark for food to feed the carnivores. Um, 
Oh, but, right. Okay. Right. But but um, the the actual animals that were going to be preserved is only there's only a few hundred of them. So there's not really. It's it's not shocking that he would think that there's more than enough room in the ark. Um, but this is the 16th mm-hmm. century. This is 1559. This right. is not even a hundred years since uh, Christopher Columbus basically initiated or kicked off or kickstarted the the age of discovery. Right. So sure. So he's you know the reports of all the animals from around the world and and the idea of the scope of how many animals there are. It's not very good. Although I would, I would say there were better lists of animals than just Pliny the Elder. <laughs> he could have he could have drawn on better okay. lists, but yeah. So okay. not surprising that he's got capacity worked out, and and it's fine and it works just fine for Buteo's yeah. vision of the art. Yeah, and various other people I think then sort of build on Buteo's work and. Mm-hmm. Um, write similar treatises. I think there was a guy called Kircher who also oh, yeah. published a kind of treatise on the art. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, um, may, maybe that's for another time. Yeah. So let's, let's kind of um, leap forward a bit because I want to think about this question of the capacity perhaps with a bit more of our sort of present knowledge of, diversity of animals and you know numbers of animals and so on so the bible tells us about what animals were taken on board the ark in kind of broad terms it kind of gives us these categories it's basically flying creatures air breathing land animals they're sort of broadly what we're talking about in terms of what noah is told to bring onto the ark is that right broadly speaking yes that's right yeah so and Noah is told in uh, Genesis chapter 7 to bring two of each kind of uh, animal onto the ark, but seven or maybe seven pairs of every clean animal. Um, The commentators seem a bit divided um, about what exactly it means by sevens. Yes. Some say it's seven individuals. Some think it's seven pairs. Um, Correct. But it doesn't actually matter too much because the number of clean animals is relatively small, I think, compared to the number of unclean animals. So actually, right. it, it, it's a fairly trivial kind of point. But uh, So we have, we have all of these animals. They're coming in by pairs or by, or by sevens. Um, and we're told that they come aboard the ark by their kinds. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? Uh, you know, just, just unpack that. A bit. So when the Bible talks about kind, what's that telling us? It's a good question. Um, And I think probably, you know, 30 years ago, I would have launched into a explanation of the created kind concept. And, and I would be rather, I would be rather firm about what I thought it meant and so forth. And uh, I don't know that I've softened a lot. I think I've softened particularly on the word kind in Scripture. It's used very rarely. It's used in Genesis 1 when it describes God creating plants and animals. It's used in the flood account, Genesis 6-9, through 9, when God is describing uh, the animals to bring onto the ark. 
and it's used again uh, in uh, the kosher food lists in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. There where he says you can eat this creature and all its kinds and that creature and all its kinds and so forth. Um, yeah, that's not a lot to go on, right? <laughs> we, can, we can we can see that it means it, it means kind of a sort of an animal, right? It's it's it it is very. I think it's quite analogous to the modern English word "kind." That's a kind of horse. That's a kind of whatever. Um, yeah, it's something that could be distinguished. Maybe uh, it's not clear where does the word come from. What is its etymology? We didn't. We're not even sure what that is. Um, it's just one of these words that okay. pops up. And so I think it's actually used one more time in Ezekiel as well in the Old Testament. But other than that, it's not used very often. So so saying, you know, what is this kind that, that Noah's taking onto the ark? I'm less dogmatic than I was when I was in my 20s. Um, so, all right. Does that mean that Noah took, like, every distinguishable whatever that he could distinguish. Um, and no, I don't think that's what that necessitates. Um, mm. So, for example, um, this has been a, a thing that Christians have talked about for a very long time, as well as, right, trying to the animals on the ark because it, it occurred to people rather early on that the number of animals on the ark depended upon the number of animals that existed right and so you have mm. a guy in the in the late 17th century uh, a guy named john wilkins he was a anglican bishop and wilkins uh, basically said look we don't have to take onto the ark every individual kind of cattle um, we can just take two cows and that'll, that'll do it because we know, mm. and this was the key idea here. We know that cattle in different places of the world will adapt and by accident become different than cattle in other places, other parts of the world. So Wilkins had this idea of, uh, I don't know that we would call it adaptation, but he certainly recognized that there could be change, right? We, we don't have to think about taking all whatever million species there are of animal. We can, we can be sensibly selective and, you know, take representatives of different groups. And I think that's quite reasonable. I think there's, and, and I think we've, we've had an episode about this. If we haven't, we should. Um, about uh, the evidence for biological change in the, in the modern world. Um, how do we know that species um, can change and do change? And so mm. I think there's plenty of good evidence, um, not the least of which is the ongoing discussion about how do, you, how do you distinguish one species from another. And I think, well, if you can't even tell where one species stops and the next one starts, then why do you think you have to have both of those on Noah's Ark? <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe 
those two species came from a common stock, and we just have to, you know, we just have to have one representative of that common stock uh, on the ark in order to repopulate the planet. And that's an old mm. idea. I didn't come up with that. Yeah. It's not an idea that was invented to save space on the ark. And this is another important point because Wilkins right. is living at a time when he still only has a couple hundred animals on the ark. He still thinks yeah. the ark is, you know, mostly empty space. So, yeah. So he's not inventing this to fix a problem that he has. He's simply noting this is what biology is now, really I've, like. Cuz cuz I've heard Yeah. I've heard that, right? Yeah, so I've I've heard people today who say you know, creationists basically invented this idea that we don't have to take all of the species on the ark simply because they realized there was this overwhelming problem of, you know, capacity on the ark. Right. And so they had to kind of scale the numbers down somehow. Right. Yeah. Um, but as you're saying, this is actually no. an idea that at least in a kind of um, inchoate form, form yeah. was, was, was always there kind of a, a long time ago. Right. We were, we yeah. were, people were thinking about that. Um, before, uh, before Linnaeus began to really earnestly list out every different species uh, on the planet, thinking, you know, I, right. I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a giant list. Linnaeus says, Carl Linnaeus in, 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 uh, you know, listing and making these long lists in his book, uh, the System of Nature, and so he makes lists of thousands of species that was not on the radar of someone like. Uh, Wilkins or someone like Puteo. Uh, and Wilkins is the guy who is the earliest one that I have found who basically says, we don't need to take all the species because some of them can just change and become what they are after the flood. What do you know? Right. Yeah. So, so actually that changes things a lot yeah. uh, in terms of, you know, how, how we think about the capacity of the arc and c coming right to towards the kind of present day um, and the launch of the, the modern creationist movement. A book that was obviously extremely influential was this one, uh, The Genesis Flood by um, Wickham and Morris, published in 1961. And uh, this is the, the classic sort of book that really launched the movement. And they make a calculation, don't they, about the number of animals on the ark, and they come up with an estimate. And, and they're including... Um, not just living forms, but extinct forms as well. And they come up with this number of 35,000 animals on the ark. That, okay. that was Wickham and Morris's estimate there. Um, and since then, a, a number of other people have sort of tried to do similar estimates, um, slightly different. They make different assumptions about um, clean versus unclean animals and whether it's seven or seven pairs yep, and yep, yep. whether the kind is a genus or a family, yep. you know, so, so you get different, different kind of numbers. Um, but, uh, Arthur Jones, who was a British zoologist, mm -hmm. uh, he published another classic paper back in 1973. It's in this edition of the creation research society quarterly. And, uh, he estimates actually much lower numbers than Wickham and Morris. He, has the kind at about the family level, and he estimated about 2,000 animals on the ark. Uh, so that's a very low estimate. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
a lot of our listeners might have come across this book. This is Noah's Ark, a feasibility study by John Wood Morropy. And uh, this is a very detailed look at all of the kind of claims and counterclaims about the logistics of the Ark and, you know, the feasibility of the Ark. And uh, he, he actually es estimates 16,000 animals on the Ark. But the reason his number is higher is because for the purposes of argument, he assumes that the genus is what's represented on the Ark. Um, okay. So instead of the family, which is what Arthur Jones had, um, you know, had, had, uh, had assumed, Wood Morropy has the genus as the, as the creator, as the Ark kind. Okay. And uh, that obviously, you know, involves more animals, but it's only really, when you read Wood, Mor Wood Morropy, he thinks the kind is probably a, approximately equivalent to a family um he's just assuming the genus because it puts more animals on the ark right. and makes the problems more difficult so it's right. a kind of an apologetic yeah sort of it's worst argument. case scenario he's making yeah he's making the the problem more difficult for himself to show that you know he, even so he can solve the problems so, yep. um and then i think that um, the Ark Encounter, which we've already mentioned in Kentucky, they've they've also um, done their own sort of estimates, and they come up with about, I think it's about six and a half thousand to seven thousand animals on the Ark. Okay. So they kind of come somewhere in the middle between Jones and yeah, Wood that Morrope. would be so Wood Morrope, so Jones was seventy three, Wickham and Morris is sixty one. Would Morrope's like ninety yeah. six? Is that right? Ninety six. Yeah, that. that's right. And then the Ark Encounter Arc is Encounter 20 teens, I guess. 2016, I think. 2016 it opened. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. So that yeah. would be so, probably the most recent, most up-to-date estimate. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, you kind of pays your money and takes your choice. But, you know, there, there, there are a range of estimates. But it's um, But it's not of millions of... It, it's, it's tens of thousands at most. It, it's not... Uh, yeah, it's it's not yeah. millions of species. Right. It's thousands or at most tens of thousands. Yeah, yeah. Animals. I'm not frankly, I'm not even sure where the millions of species came from. I hear that I hear that from scoffers sometimes and I think what, what are you bringing amoebas on the ark? Is that what's going on? Cuz there's just <laughs> there's just not that many right. species of vertebrates or or insects. Right. Well, maybe insects you could get into yeah. a million. Maybe maybe a million, but uh yeah. Right. Anyway, so right. now Paul, uh, you know, yeah. Buteo's got only a couple hundred species, a couple hundred animals on the ark. He's brought in a couple thousand sheep to feed some of the carnivores. Um, mm. So the, the number in, on his ark is gradually shrinking, right, over time. Um, but, mm -hmm. but tens of thousands is still, that still sounds like a lot, right? Any mm -hmm. farmer listening to this is going to know that is a lot of work to care for all of those animals. And you still have to think, all right, well, tens of thousands of individual animals, how are they going to fit on this boat? I, is it really fixing the, the problem in a sense mm. to, 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 to make this list? Is that really getting us anywhere in our understanding of things? And I think, you know, like we've already mentioned, this largest animal issue is that red herring that makes you think, oh, there's no way. 
10,000 elephants. There's no way you're going to put 10,000 elements, elephants on, on the ark. There's no way to put 10,000 giraffes or rhinos or whatever. And that's probably true. So the next big question then is how big are these animals going on the ark? How much space do they actually need? And for that, mm. you know, the guy who calculated this in most detail that I know of anyway is our good buddy John Woodmorapy again. Um, we ought to have him on the show sometime. Uh, yeah, yeah, that'd be good. I think that'd be fun. Um, yeah, so in his book on Noah's Ark, uh, he not only lists out all of the animals, and this is, in my mind, just an absolutely gargantuan, Herculean task that he undertook, but he lists out all of these animals, and then he starts making body mass estimates um, based on you know published reports of how big these things are. And according to him, then, about 76% of his list of 16,000 animals are less than 22 pounds. And so that's about the size of maybe three or four chickens. Maybe your family dog is maybe, you know, if you have a smaller family dog, you've got something that's roughly the size of the largest of the animals, most of the large animals on the ark. There's only a small number of animals that end up being extremely big. Um, and that is striking. So, so would Morapi then, uh, figures out, all right, well, you know, for this body mass, you need so much square footage, right? And so he, Mm. based on the square footage, he suggests that about half of the ark is necessary to house the animals. which is, again, a very striking and startling result. He's got 16,000 animals going on the ark, and he's got <laughs> half of the ark taken up by those animals, just half. Now, mm. when um, Wickham and Morris were writing their estimate, they had, what, 30-something thousand, 35,000 animals on their ark, and they calculated it by volume. Now, they did it by volume with reference to rail cars. So, <laughs> rail cars are for short-term transport. This is not ideal living conditions for animals for a year. So, you got to take this, this one with a little bit of a grain of salt. But they estimate that only 14% of the volume of the ark would be required for uh, housing the animals. So who's got it right? Uh, I think probably somewhere in the middle is more likely. Um, if you think about, say, a mouse or a guinea pig or something, or a hamster, that hamster does not need, you know, three square feet of space on a deck that's 15 feet tall, right? That's an enormous amount of space above them that's just wasted. And a lot of these animals are that small. So yeah. you could stack them, right? That is a possibility. Mm -hmm. And still make them very comfortable, have plenty of space and, and so forth. It would not be an unpleasant journey for them. Um, so the, the, 
the estimate based on the square footage, I think, is probably an overestimate. And then, you know, the volume based on rail cars, that's clearly an underestimate because you're just cramming stuff in there. No food, no no way to move around or anything. So, yeah. So you, I'm guessing if I had to guess, and I haven't done the calculations, but if I had to guess, I'd say maybe a quarter of the arc is probably taken up by the animals. Maybe a bit more, maybe a bit less. We, I'd have to actually sit down and do all the, the number crunching myself, which I have not done. But yeah, yeah there's plenty of room. Yeah. Even at 35,000 yeah, animals, there seems to be plenty of room. That's, that is really striking. And yes, I mean, when I read Wood Morropy and he did that amazing thing where he kind of broke all the, the animals down into these body mass categories. And yeah, I, it's, it's just an astonishing kind of thing that he did. And, you know, the animals come out on average, they're, they're quite small, which if you think about it makes sense yeah. because, you know, how many really big animals are there, you know, compared to loads of tiny animals mm-hmm. and small animals? So it sort it sort of makes makes sense that the average is actually quite low. Yeah, it's quite small. Yep. Um. So yeah. So okay. So we don't really have a problem in terms of capacity in dealing with the animals. But what what about the provisions? Because those animals are going to be munching their way through whatever provisions you have on the ark. Uh, they need presumably drinking water. How how are you going to take on enough provisions? all of those animals for a whole year is is that feasible yeah excellent question so again based on wood morapi's um calculations he suggests that um they would need uh, a minimum of a million gallons of uh fresh water wow okay i can (laughs) that sounds a lot (laughs) i can go to uh the grocery store here in america and buy a gallon of milk it's pretty big my refrigerator, I mean, I guess if I emptied out my refrigerator, I could hold maybe 10, maybe 12 gallons of milk. Uh, a million is, like you say, it's gigantic. But the tricky bit is the, the volume of the arc in gallons is 11 million. So <laughs> a million <laughs> gallons of water is actually less than 10% of the total volume of the arc. So that actually turns out, okay, well, that's not really that much space at all. It's really like 9% of the volume of the arc. Okay, cool. Then you have to, then of course, is the question of food, which, all right, well, that's going to be a much harder issue. Um, Would Morapi suggested uh, about 2,000 tons of food would be necessary? And the volume of that is going to depend on the caloric concentration and the density of the food right so if you took on hay i think he said that would be half of the ark's capacity if it was all hay obviously it can't be all hay because i'm not eating hay for a year um so uh and neither are lions and tigers and so forth so so you would need other food he he also calculated for um for example um less dense food you know you could get a much more compact thing. So mm. he said, you know, if you took in his oats, it would be a considerably smaller volume. I think it was around 12%. I may be quoting that wrong. If you took it on as dried fruit, you'd maybe take up 7% of the volume of the art. Uh, so 
Yeah. Mm. The food question all depends. But the worst case scenario, again, if all you had was hay, if you just filled up your ark with water and hay, you would still have enough room, which that's incredible to me. Yeah. I mean, this is the size of the ark. Yeah. It is not, a, yeah. you know, your little bathtub toy, your little precious moment. Forget that. That is not the yeah. ark. And I think the Ark Encounter does a really good job of helping us to really imagine the full scale of what this is, right? It is not, it is not a toy. It is a gigantic boat with plenty of capacity yeah. to, hold, to hold everything it needs, which is rather yeah. and, startling. And, and to reiterate, Woodmorapy is assuming 16,000 animals because he is overloading the ark. Right. He's, he's putting more animals on the ark than probably needed to be on the ark. So mm -hmm. all of the numbers that you've just kind of mentioned there from Woodmorapy are kind of overestimates to make the problem more difficult. Um, so that's, that's really interesting. So it seems to me that when you, when you don't think about this at all, the arc seems really simple. It's just kind of the children's storybook version. Yep. Okay. Um, when you begin to think about it a bit, you suddenly start thinking, wow, this sounds impossible. Yeah. How on earth can this work? But then when you actually begin to dig into it a bit more and you begin to crunch some numbers, you suddenly start going, well, okay, actually, maybe this would work. <laughs> you know, this, this actually isn't quite as impossible as I yeah. you know, imagined. Yeah. Um, so that, that's really interesting. Now, of course, we, we've only dealt here with the capacity of the right, ark. Right. So the animals and the food and the water, we haven't dealt with lots of other things. We talked about the construction of the ark. We haven't really dealt with that. We haven't talked about how um, eight people could care for all of these animals during the voyage. Um, Which is and, big. And you know, other things besides. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, so there are other topics and maybe... Yeah, maybe this is going to turn into one of those occasional series that we do where we, yeah. we come back to other questions in the future. So, right. so maybe. But before we kind of sign off this episode, and we, we've got to the end, really, um, I want to go back. I want to kind of go back to the question that we, we were thinking about right at the beginning. Uh, the manure. <laughs> the manure question. What, what do you do with the poo? Um, what... <laughs> What would you do with it all? How, what on earth happened to the manure, Todd? Oh, yeah. Well, Wood Morpy <laughs> has a long section on this, but frankly, I think you'd get rid of it. you throw it overboard, right? Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, so Wood Morpy has a bunch of ideas about how you would design the arcs to make this a relatively easier task um, so that it would not be an onerous thing. Um, but yeah, you don't keep it. You, you shovel it. And that's what they would do on the old sailing ships. They, that's, that was the head, right? You, the head was just this place you would go. Uh, and then it was actually kind of had little openings um, to the outside so that the water would come in and just wash it away and you'd just get rid of it. So, yeah, old sailing ships, they knew enough to get rid of it. So just get rid of it. Don't, don't, don't sit in it and smell it. That's crazy. <laughs> Well, there we go. So that's that's the manure question solved. Okay, uh, we we should call it a day there. All right. Um, this has been a fascinating episode, and uh, yeah, the the arc is always interesting to talk about. Mm. So yeah, we'll 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 come back to this again. So anyway, yeah. 
But for now, um, we need to sign off. And uh, I guess we'll see you in another couple of weeks' time. So take care, everybody. See you then. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Creation. For more information, visit us at letstalkcreation.org, where you'll find an archive of past episodes and all our show notes. If you'd like to leave a comment or make a suggestion, you can find us on all the major social media platforms. Let's Talk Creation is brought to you in the U.S. by Core Academy of Science and in the U.K. by Biblical Creation Trust. As a listener-supported ministry, we are grateful for all of your financial support. Find out how you can make a contribution at our website, letstalkcreation.org. Also remember to like, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Thanks, and see you next time.